first scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. Hear now the word of the Lord. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So this story is an interesting one. It's an important one because it shows up in all three of the synoptic gospels. That's what we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you read John, you'll understand why it's not included because that's the weird one. But this one appears in all three of the synoptic Gospels. And so it's something that we can have confidence was known to be an important part of Jesus' life and ministry. And so it's something that we would do well to pay especially close attention to. Now the other thing about the Gospel of Mark, and this was pointed out to me just this past week while I was at a conference on evangelism. But the interesting thing about the Gospel of Mark is that it has two clear parts to it. There's a change, there's a turning point right in the middle where everything seems to be somewhat different. That's that from Mark chapters 1 through 7, Jesus is traveling around the world. He's performing miracles, going from town to town, doing amazing wonders. He's healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, restoring lepers back to health and into their communities. He's having people who've been paralyzed stand up walk, and he's even raising the dead back to life. But in Mark chapter 8, all of that stops. And from Mark 8 until the end, there's no more miracles. There's only teaching. And not only is there teaching, because he was doing that before, but Jesus gives some of his hardest teachings after the miracles stop. And this is one of the ones that's particularly challenging for us. 
This is something that we think about. This is one of the most known and considered, misused and misunderstood pieces of Scripture. It's one of the most common parts of the Gospels, and yet so many of us are confused by it. And so let's take a little while to look at this, because really this is a story about a decision, a decision that this man had to make. Will you still follow Jesus when you don't like where he's going, when you don't like what he's teaching, when there's no more miracles, and all there is is faith? Encounters with Jesus, and this is the challenging part of this scripture, encounters with Jesus don't always cause change. We've looked for the past few weeks at what it looks like to encounter Jesus and repent and to follow him, to have your life changed and go into something new. But this time, man's life doesn't change. He doesn't repent. He doesn't turn from how things have been to go into how things are going to be with Christ. And it all starts with this simple question. What must we do to inherit eternal life? And so at the start of this, we find a man, a rich young ruler, it says, somebody who is active in the community, active within his town, and also, tradition tells us, active within the councils, the religious councils of the land. This is important because you'll remember the Pharisees have not been kind to Jesus so far. And yet this man, a rich young ruler who's just the same as them in terms of his position, comes with a completely different demeanor, a completely different attitude. He comes excited and enthusiastic and ready to change. He's heard what Jesus has been doing, and he's heard what Jesus has been teaching, and so he knows in his heart that Jesus is a good man who worked miracles and can tell people how they can know God. And so he comes to Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He asks this question, believing that Jesus had the answer. That's a big deal. That's not something that we can underestimate the power of, that he thought that he believed that Jesus knew what must be done to have eternal life. And Jesus' first response might seem a little strange, and that's that he asks this man, Why do you call me good? Don't you know that only God is good? Now, this is a strange thing for Jesus to do, because Jesus isn't just being contrarian here. Jesus doesn't just be He's not just difficult for the sake of being difficult. But think about this. The man refrains. After that, he doesn't call Jesus good teacher again. He just calls him teacher. But if he had persisted, if he had continued to call Jesus good after Jesus told him only God is good, then he would have been the first one to see Christ's true nature. But Jesus keeps on going, even after he drops the good from his address. And he says, okay, keep the commandments. Not just any commandments, but the Ten Commandments. And then he lists off the ones that most have to do with how you treat one another, how you treat
treat the people around you. Basically, he tells them, keep the commandments and love your neighbor. The man gets excited about this, and he says, I have, I have kept the commandments, Jesus, since I was a boy. I have been good. I've done everything that I can to be holy and to follow after God. And Jesus likes that response. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Imagine this from Jesus' perspective. This was the first time that a member of the religious council had been happy to see him and had been glad to hear what he said. This is a big deal for him. And yet, as is usually the case, Jesus can't just leave it at the easy teachings. Because it's not about the easy teachings. Jesus carries on and says that the commandments, for as good as they are, are not enough. He says that if he wants to inherit eternal life, if he wants to experience the kingdom of God, then he should give away all that he has, just give it away to the poor, and that he would have treasure in heaven if he did. Friends, you can try and keep the laws. You can try and keep the commandments and to be good. You can strive after God with every ounce of effort that you have and always come up short. It might take a moment. It might take a week or a month, maybe even years, but falling short is something that always comes. There will always be moments if we lean on our own power and strength that it just won't be enough. Because friends, your work can never buy your salvation. It's never enough. The problem that this man had wasn't in what he had done. He'd kept the commandments. He'd been good by all measures. And Jesus recognizes this. He says it's, that's the first thing to do, is to keep the commandments. But it's not enough. The problem was in his question, not his actions. The question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you can never do enough. And so it continues on from verse 22, when Jesus tells him, give it away, just give it all away and follow me. The man's face fell. He could not or would not give up his wealth, even for salvation, even for the treasure that was laid up for him in heaven. So what was the problem here? Why did Jesus call this man to do something that he could not? Now, I know most people would focus on uh, this as saying that wealth is bad. But the truth is, to take that perspective is to miss the fact that Jesus was surrounded by wealthy people. But he was also surrounded by poor people. Jesus was surrounded by anyone who would come and follow him. Matthew, the disciple, was a tax collector. He was a wealthy man. When Jesus died on the cross and they needed a tomb in which to place him, a man named John came and offered up his own personal tomb because he was a wealthy man 
who also was following Christ. We can remember our friend Zacchaeus who climbed a tree to see Jesus, and he was a tax collector and a wealthy man. And Jesus invited him to dinner, and Zacchaeus followed after Christ after that. So it's not just the wealth that's the problem. Nor is it the second part of this command to give all to the poor. Now it's good to do this. You can't read the Gospels and think that Jesus does not have profound compassion for the poor and the needy. And you can't read through the Gospels and think that he doesn't instruct us to have that same compassion as well. But there were also times when Jesus said that he was the most important part of this. When a woman came to Jesus and poured out expensive perfume on his feet and washed them with her hair, the disciples had a major issue with it. They said, Jesus, this money could have been used for our ministry. It could have been used to feed people. It could have been used to clothe the naked. And Jesus said, the poor will be with you always, but I will not. And so it wasn't even necessarily that this man was ignoring the poor. If he kept the commandments, then he, he very well may not have been. What it came down to, at the end of it all, though, the thing that made this such a challenge for the man was this question of whether he trusted in Jesus' heavenly treasure or if he trusted in his own worldly treasure. And when it came down to that question, he made it clear which one he preferred. He made it clear which one he trusted more. Because, friends, the things that you trust don't only determine what you do. They determine what you can do. This man, he trusted himself. He trusted his own abilities to do good and to be good. He followed the commandments. He worked hard. He trusted in his wealth. It brought comforts. Maybe it even made it possible for him to do good works for the poor and the people around him. But what he didn't trust was Jesus. He didn't, at the end of, the, at the end of this conversation, believe that Jesus was more reliable than his own wealth and power. For us, we have to ask ourselves, what do we trust in our lives? What are the things that we always fall back on at the end of the day? What are the things that we feel like we can count on no matter what, that we can always lean on? And then Jesus strikes at the heart of the matter. He says, give up the things that you trust more than the Lord your God. Any of them have to go because God comes first. Everything else will fail. But if you trust in the Lord, you will know that he is good. This man was promised treasure in heaven. And we see from the way that he comes at the beginning that he believes that Jesus knows what he's talking about. He believes that Jesus is powerful, that he's worked miracles and taught good teachings. He wanted what Jesus promised. But because he couldn't believe that Jesus would deliver, he couldn't accept it. He was a slave to his money at the end of the day and couldn't accept the freedom 
that Christ was offering. We come to Jesus to ask, how can I get eternal life? And Jesus' response is, you know that thing that you trust the most? Give it away. Let it go. Give it up and lean on me instead. Place your trust in the Lord and you will have treasure in heaven. There are two ways that we can go when we hear that call. We can either be free in Christ, or we can be a slave to everything else. It might be wealth and comforts and understanding. As a slave, if you lean on these things, then you'll be fed, you'll be kept comfortable, and you'll be told what to do until eventually all of it fades away and you find that you're still a slave. It might be vices, it might be fear and this need for safety, or it might be power. Because as a slave to those things, you'll be given a free pass. You'll be told that you can buy peace at Walmart easily, and you'll be encouraged to work hard and stand on your own power because you can climb to the top of the world, and the view looks good from up there until you realize that you're still a slave. It might be news and social media and popularity and keeping up with everybody else. Because as a slave to those things, you'll be told that you know best, that you have the right information. You'll be told that everybody knows your name, they know who you are and what you've done. And you'll be told that everybody loves you. And yet, as you continue striving after those things tirelessly and ceaselessly, you'll find that you're still a slave to them. Or it might not even be a good, pleasant thing at all. You might be a slave to something a bit darker, something a bit less pleasant and comfortable. It might be distrust and cynicism and anxiety. You might think that you're the only person that you can actually believe you can actually count on, and that everybody else, they're not worth your time. But in that case, you're a slave to your own distrust, and that just leads to more loneliness with every passing day. And that's not freedom. It's not freedom at all. But all of these treasures that the world can offer, all of these places that we go to try and find strength and comfort. All of these are treasures that sit in a kingdom of dirt and dust, of emptiness and disease. But Christ's treasure that he offers, that is found in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, when we give these things up as Jesus calls us to, we're not giving away our treasure. We're receiving it. You're not giving up a savior. You're giving up, and it's being set free from a master. And so this is a call to freedom. Freedom that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Freedom to live a life that's full of love and joy, of peace in times when peace seems impossible, of courage and strength, the willingness to go and spread the good news, and follow after Christ. So friends, this morning, I invite you here 
this call of Jesus not as a challenge, but as an invitation to give up these things that are keeping you from life and keeping you from